Hello, everyone, and welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you today to discuss how to strengthen your portfolio. And my guess is because you're listening to a podcast titled Multifamily Real Estate Investing, that many of you are already evangelists for having commercial multifamily real estate in your portfolio. So we're certainly going to talk uh, about that and do a little preaching to the choir for those of you. And some of you might be here because you've heard about this real estate thing and you're interested in learning more about how it might make sense to add to your portfolio. And we absolutely advocate everyone having some equity positions in commercial multifamily real estate. So that's what we're going to chat about today. Uh, before we get started, <laughs> a note, uh, I love the feedback we get. Please shoot me emails, pat at marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Uh, and you can always swing by the website as well. Uh, lots of good material at the Learning Center and some downloads. Uh, you can schedule time for a call with me, all sorts of good stuff there. Uh, so let, uh, back to the feedback. I love the feedback I, I get from folks. One of the things that I hear from you all uh, with a high degree of regularity is uh, not just the value you get from these sessions, and I'm very happy that, uh, that you find there's value in these sessions, uh, but the realism of the sessions. These are not slick. Uh, if you saw me sitting here recording one of these, you'd certainly understand how that works. And this is actually the second recording of this episode because I went through a really good version of this just a little while ago. Of course, we didn't have the recording button on. So uh, so if anybody ever accuses us of being a little too slick, uh, there's some good evidence to the uh, to the contrary. So enough of that. Let's uh, let's get to what we came to talk about. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about portfolio management, investment portfolio management. I am not a financial planner. I'm not giving any of you investment advice. I'm sharing some data and some information about multifamily real estate, in particular about commercial multifamily real estate, and how it compares and contrasts to other types of investments that you may or may not have in your portfolio. So uh, with that caveat, we're going to use um, a little matrix here, a little two by two matrix. Um, and I, I appreciate that this is a podcast and not a visual. Um, so I hope all of you uh, are comfortable with this. Um, don't think this is a big stretch. So we, we've got a two by two matrix on one uh, axis, and we'll, we'll say that this is the horizontal axis, we have stability, right? So the left-hand side of this is more stable, and the right-hand side is more volatile, right? So investments have stability or volatility, right? They either move a lot or they move a little, and we measure that relative to the 10-year treasury. We use that as a, as a benchmark for a movement in the economy. So that's that's the tool we're using to look at this. So that's one way we we look at an investment at a at a potential piece of a portfolio. The other is return, right? And so that's the vertical axis here, right? So 
uh, on the lower portion, we've got, you know, maybe two or 3%, 4%, 6%, 8%, all the way up to maybe 10% or something like that, right? So if you look at that, we've got four boxes. We've got a lower left-hand box, which is where you'd see more stable investments that have modest to low returns. To the right of that, on the lower right-hand side, you'd see investments that have greater volatility and lower returns, modest to low returns. Above that, on the upper right-hand side, you'd see investments that have higher volatility, less stability, but have higher returns. They're in that seven, eight, nine percent, maybe even 10% range, right? And then on the upper left-hand side, we've had, we would have investments that have uh, more stability, right? Less volatility uh, and have the higher uh, returns. So let's talk about what might go in each of those boxes. So if we, let's start with the lower left-hand corner, right? This is where you would typically see your fixed income kinds of investments, right? So a government bond, like I said, a, a treasury bill would absolutely be here. That's the benchmark, right? It's actually going to be pegged at the low uh, corner on the bottom left, right? That's where a treasury is going to be. Uh, municipal bonds, uh, corporate bonds. As, as you get into riskier bonds, what the term that used to be used was junk bonds. I haven't heard that in a while, but a high uh, return bond with more risk, it, it probably begins to move uh, to the right uh, and uh, potentially up, although it might just move to the right uh, because of the risk associated with it. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, so uh, bonds are great. They're a wonderful thing to have in a portfolio. If you're a younger person, you might not have much uh, exposure to the fixed income world. As you get older, the old adage is you, you move more towards that side of the spectrum. I think that's shifted a little bit over the years. Certainly the folks I've worked with have said, well, you know, we're all living longer. Retirements last longer. Retirements aren't 10 or 15 years. They're potentially 20, 25, 30 years. Probably need to keep something a little more aggressive in there, a the little more growth. And um, so, uh, so how much you have of that, or and really of any of these, is a personal decision uh, to make. Um, but everybody probably has some fixed income instruments, bonds, or something like a bond uh, in their uh, portfolio, and it's in this lower left quadrant, right? So, uh, greater stability, modest to low returns. Now let's move, if you will, let's move to the opposite end of the spectrum, right? So let's go to the right side and let's look at the higher returns, right? So these are modest to higher returns. So 7%, 8%, 9%, that kind of range with greater volatility. And this is where we're gonna find equities, stocks, right? So large cap stocks and small cap stocks and international stocks and even index funds, right? So an index fund is meant to be less volatile. It, and it, I would expect actually is relative to individual stocks. Um, over time, the trend line for stocks has been really good, right? That's one of the reasons we all have stocks in our portfolio. 
8%, 9%, 10% over long periods of time. That's a really solid return. And the, the thought always has been, you can count on that, right? You just continually add dollars, 401k, IRA, wherever it might happen to be. And over time, it's going to grow in value. You've probably read an article at some point in time that says, since date X, sometimes it's 1929, sometimes it's 1950 something, whatever, since date X through now, the stock market's returned 12% or 10% or 9% or some number like that. that you're like, well, that's actually a pretty good return. Uh, I, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to model, right? Well, you've probably also seen articles, and if you haven't, uh, they're out there, you can go find them, that also will go through and select a different time frame, right? Not necessarily a short-term time frame, but a different 20 or 30 years with a different start date and a different end date in which the market only made 3% or 4%. And the reason for that is at any given point in time, the market can be all over the place, right? The stock market moves a lot. Equities have a lot of movement in them, which is why they're on the right side of this matrix. A, a comment about that, having greater movement, greater volatility isn't in and of itself bad. One of the reasons stocks are more volatile is because they can go up a bunch, which is a change. So it is volatile from that standpoint. That's not a bad change, and because they can go up a lot, they can also go down a lot. And, and you'll often see that. So if you take a, uh, go to a, you know, Yahoo Finance or uh, any of the other pages where you can go and see long-term trend lines for uh, the stock market, say the S&P 500, the long-term trend line, while it has a little wiggle to it, boy, it's a nice long-term uh, positive trend. Zoom into a 20-year time frame, and then zoom into 10, and then zoom into five, and then zoom into one year and you can see wild swings, wild fluctuations, which means at any given point in time, the return you're experiencing could be all over the map. And that's the reason it's on the right side of this uh, equation. Um, that's not a bad thing, as we said, it's simply different, right? So stocks perform with better returns generally than bonds, but with less stability and more volatility. So when you build a portfolio, it's very often what you see. And while the, the pie uh, chart that you're given from your investment advisor or that your uh, software generates for you or that your Schwab or Fidelity account or whatever shows you, while it looks like you've got a bunch of different slices, many of those slices are just different slices of the same thing, right? So it's, you got a slice for large caps and for small caps and another for internationals and another for an index fund. Well, they're all equities. And so if you stand back and look at it, what you've got are, you've got some fixed income investments, bonds, all the way down to cash, like CDs. And then you've got equities. And oftentimes it's just those two flavors. So let's talk about the two other boxes. On the lower right-hand side is a box that you might scratch your head and go, what on earth is in this? This is more volatile, right? Less stability, more volatile, but the low returns. Why am I investing in something that has low returns and a lot of volatility? Well, you may not be, right? That may not be something you invest in. 
for some individuals, a portion of their portfolio will be invested in more speculative investments, right? It could be uh, options or futures trading, uh, some commodity trading. There's a number of things that could have this kind of characteristic. Any one individual investment actually might pay off well. Collectively, the returns may be very modest, if not low, because of the losses that are experienced on others. And there's a lot of volatility. It's the most volatile space you could be in the, the kinds of investments we just described. And again, we're not arguing that those are bad investments and you shouldn't have them. Should they be 80% of your portfolio? I guess that depends on you and how big your portfolio is. If, you, if you've got a billion dollars to play with, maybe you can put uh, that kind of money at play. If you've got a million dollars in your portfolio, you may have a very, very small amount that you put into that lower right-hand uh, quadrant. So we've got fixed income, lower left-hand, nice and stable, modest returns. We've got uh, the, the uh, more volatile, low returns, high-risk kinds of investments. Then we've got equities, better returns, still more, still volatile, right? Still a lot of movement. So what's in this upper left-hand corner, which sounds like a really nice sweet spot, right? This is lower volatility, more stability, and the higher returns. What's there? Well, drum roll, of, of course, that's where commercial real estate is, and in particular, where commercial multifamily real estate would fall. And the reason why is, is this, is it has stability like bonds and other fixed income instruments because one, it's, it's in the food and shelter space, right? We're not competing in the economy for dollars that are being spent on smartphones or dinners out or you know the brand new car. Everybody's gotta have a place to live and that means we have a really nice amount of demand for the product we offer, which is which is living space. That's also a factor. There are more tenants than there are units available. There's a shortage. And because there's a shortage, when tenants do have movement, right, whether it's they move out to buy a home or they move out because of some uh, other factor that happens in their life, there's a tenant ready to step in behind them, which is why occupancy numbers have been so high the last few years and are forecasted to continue, in particular in the class B space that we operate in. So you've got these wonderful factors that cause commercial multifamily real estate to be stable. You'll notice I said commercial. I didn't say multifamily real estate. And the reason why is this, is individual residential sized multifamily. So a fourplex or a duplex or a, a portfolio of single family homes are absolutely multifamily investments and are going to be in this quadrant somewhere. They're going to be more towards the center. They're not gonna be more towards the left-hand side. And the reason for that is this, is there's not enough scale in those investments to create the stability that you can have with a 100, 200, 300 unit commercial property in terms of having on-site management, in terms of gaining cost efficiencies on a number of the expenses that you would have typically with any asset, you're going to get greater stability, i.e. 
less volatility in a commercial size asset. So that's why we talk about commercial multifamily real estate being in this sweet spot up here on the upper left-hand side. So that's the stability part of it. The return part of it is uh, really a bit of a double dip, if you will, right? So commercial multifamily real estate grows in value the same way an equity does. Stocks return the vast majority of their return to investors through growth, right? You buy a share for $100 and it eventually becomes worth $150. Now there might be a dividend, maybe it's 2%, right? So you're getting you know, a, a $2 dividend every year, which is nothing to complain about. If that money was invested in a bond, you might be getting a four or a five or a $6 return on that $100. If it's invested in commercial multifamily real estate, like our total return fund, for example, you're getting an average $8 or more, 8% return, maybe even better than that over longer periods of time. So, uh, while large caps grow in value, uh, they have this, mod pardon me, equities grow in value, they have this modest amount of cash they throw off. Multifamily real estate grows in value as well. Again, $100 invested in multifamily will grow to be worth that 150, but it's also gonna have thrown off over some period of time, a significant amount of cash. So you're getting cash distributions like you might get from a bond with the equity growth that you would get in a stock, right? So you're getting a little bit of both of those, which is what makes the return so nice in a commercial multifamily property. So we've talked about these two axes, right? About stability and about returns. There's a third axis and it's, um, it's difficult to draw. I'm not that creative as, a, as an artist to be able to do this, but there is a way you, can, you could draw this. Uh, and so if you had a third axis coming out of the page at you, right? So you've got a two by two by two matrix now. This next uh, axis is uh, taxes, right? So if you're investing in fixed income instruments, so certificates of deposit, so you've got some cash sitting in the bank, or a money market account, or a government bond, or a corporate bond, you're paying tax on that income generally. Municipal bonds are gonna have some uh, different tax treatments. You might qualify for some other than ordinary income tax rates on some of this income, but there's tax paid, and you're not getting from that bond holder, right, from the uh, bond issuer, you're not getting a K-1 at the end of the year that says you lost money because there's not depreciation that takes place there. So you're not getting tax sheltering like you can get in the multifamily space where you do get a K-1 and we are able to take care of, pardon me, take advantage of uh, the tax code around depreciation. In particular, and you may have listened to some of our other sessions where we've talked about depreciation, uh, when we use the cost segregation methodology. So you're getting K-1s with losses on them from multifamily, from commercial multifamily, that you're not getting in that fixed income space. So you've got some really good tax advantages there. Likewise, when you look at the uh, equities, the stock side of the equation, as I said, most of that return comes in the form of growth. That $100 share you bought that's now worth $150. When you sell that, you've got to pay tax on the $50. 
it's long-term gains tax, just like if you sold a piece of real estate, you'd pay long-term gains. So gee, they're the same from that standpoint. The difference is this, you cannot 1031 the gain you have on a stock into another stock. You can do that with commercial multifamily real estate. So you sell a piece of real estate that you've made money on that's had gain, and that gain can get rolled into the next asset, which defers that income it's capital gains treatment long-term uh, years from now. So you're paying it with dollars that are less than they're worth today. And you've potentially got a step up in basis, which you could potentially have on all of these investments. But, um, uh, but the ability to continue to defer all of these, that $150 with the $50 gain, you pay the tax on it and you're knocked back. Now you're, you're $125 or $130 that you're rolling over instead of the whole 150. Over time, through several cycles, real estate will absolutely outperform a stock with similar growth because you're taking advantage of this uh, tax capability in which you get extra money to play with, essentially an interest-free loan from the federal government. So when we look at these types of classes, right? We've got, we've got these wonderfully solid, stable, some would call them boring, fixed income investments, but they don't have a lot of tax upside uh, and, and, they're not, they, and they don't really grow. We've got these very risky uh, kinds of investments that are gonna be extremely volatile over here in the lower right-hand corner. Probably not terribly interested in those, although there could be some. We've got equities. So nice growth over long periods of time, but in any short or specific period of time, lots and lots of volatility and relatively little tax protection. And by the way, you're actually paying taxes twice, right? Because the corporation, right? The stock entity is paying its own tax and then you get the money and then you've got to pay tax. You're not experiencing that when you're investing in commercial multifamily real estate, whether you're doing it yourself, right? With your own assets that you've invested in. You went out and bought a 100-unit uh, complex yourself. Good for you if you've done that. Or when you've invested with a firm like us because we're pass-through entities for tax purposes. So we're not paying tax at our fund level, as an example. We're passing that through to, um, to our investors, to our members. And uh, right now, those are all losses, right? Because of the K-1 situation we just, um, that we just uh, discussed. So None of this is an argument to say that, oh my gosh, you should move everything into that upper uh, left-hand corner and have nothing but commercial multifamily real estate. How much you're gonna have is an individual decision for each and every person. And there's a lot of factors you probably would take into account in terms of doing that. Our advocacy is to simply have some commercial multifamily, whether that's 5% of your portfolio or 50% of your portfolio, is a personal decision to be made, please get some. Uh, we'd love to work with people, obviously, that's part of what we do. We'd love to have, have you talk to us about having us be the vehicle that we'd have that for you. If we're not the right fit, get it from somebody else, right? Find a piece of commercial multifamily real estate that you can add to your portfolio so that you can take advantage of these opportunities that are, um, uh, that are out there. So I hope this has been of uh, value. As I said at the beginning, I know we're doing some preaching to the choir for quite a few of you. Uh, maybe there's been a, a few uh, 
tools that we've offered that can help you think about this maybe differently than you had before. For those of you that aren't on the uh, multifamily bandwagon yet, I would encourage you to continue to do your research. Go to the Learning Center at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And uh, we've got a bunch of really good recorded webinars there. We're getting ready to launch a, um, a new webinar series here in, um, in a short term, right? We're, we're almost there. And uh, there'll be some material about it at the Learning Center uh, as well. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Lots of good material you can go back and listen to. There's also some downloads at the, at the website that could help you uh, learn more about uh, commercial multifamily real estate. And I'm always happy to hop on the phone and answer any questions that, uh, that you might have. I hope you found today uh, valuable. If you did, please let somebody else know. We're always interested in growing our, uh, our audience base so that we can continue, as we said, to advocate for strengthening your portfolio by adding commercial multifamily real estate. I hope you join me next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. <music>